Hey everybody, it's DG, back for another episode of The Swipe File, this time live from Saster 2019. We went there, it was amazing, and this is my interview with the CMO of SurveyMonkey, Leela Srinivasan. Leela, thank you for doing this. By the way, I did an interview earlier. We interview with Dan Rogers. He's a CMO of ServiceNow. Mm-hmm. And Gonzalo told me that I called him Todd. <laughs> I didn't call him Todd. So, uh, did I? Did Ed. you find it? Not Todd. Todd. Ed. I didn't you call him. You know we'll be able to watch So if I start calling you like Lola or Lauren, I just un- let it slide. Things. Oh, my daughter must be going to bed. Uh, I'll call her back in two minutes. Yeah, it's the best time. Okay, so we're here at Saster. Fun fact, you haven't actually given your talk yet. No, I've not. I'm good friends with your PR team. Mm-hmm. That's not true at all. I emailed them. I said, can I have <laughs> the seven things that you're going to talk about? Because I wanted to I want to talk about them. So first, quick background on you, by the way. You're Forbes Top 50 CMO. It's pretty cool. Thank you. It's pretty cool. You don't, You can be humble, but I'll, I'll just say it, okay? <laughs> Previously at Lever, Sarah Nam was on this podcast. Love Sarah. Sarah is amazing. She is awesome. Blew us away. I'm sure we have other stories. Open Table, LinkedIn, Bain, and Business Wire. I'm only saying Business Wire because shout out to all my PR people out there. Mm-hmm. I started off in PR and have put endless amounts of money into Business Wire. Very good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> that has nothing to PR do with it. PR is super important. It, so. is, it is super important. Okay, but uh, your, so, so your talk at Saster is... Mm-hmm. Lessons from SurveyMonkey, seven tips for using customer feedback to build rabid fans and make more money. And I thought it'd be fun to talk about that because you describe yourself as a shameless customer groupie. It's true. I cannot lie. Why? I think it's such like a cliche thing for a marketer to be like, I love customers, but it feels like you really live this in going through your talk and just hearing some of the other stuff you said. Like customer marketing is actually your best demand gen channel. Absolutely. So I think... I don't know when this started, possibly it's LinkedIn. I find myself getting really wrapped up in the customer, their journey, their pain points, their challenges. And uh, I was in the position when I first arrived there, this is back in 2010. So LinkedIn was about 500 people. I worked for the talent solutions business, which was like the rocket ship Mm -hmm. and had the responsibility of building out our first customer advisory councils, which really were about listening to customers, understanding their feedback, figuring out what to do with that, taking action, also running our NPS surveys, that sort of thing. And so I found myself readily empathizing with the customer. And the more I could understand their world, the more I could actually also take data back to the rest of the management team and say, hey, here's what's going on in our customer base, the more value I produced in both directions. Mm. And my role there also put me in a position to run our Global Talent Connect conference, which really was the showcase of customers and all the great things they were doing with our technology and outside of it as well. But it became this sort of festival for recruiters. Can you can you dive into the customer advisory yeah. board thing? Because sure. it's something that I've heard a lot of companies talk about. Mm-hmm. We're starting to form one now. I, oh. I would love to know like, you know, when's the right time to do it? How do you do it? Because I've seen it get done and then it just becomes kind of like this token group of five customers sure. that you send early stuff to. Like how should it actually play out? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've set up or run advisory council type things in, the, in both at LinkedIn, OpenTable, Lever, and we're actually about to spin some up at, at SurveyMonkey. And in each case, it's been a little bit different. So when I go back to LinkedIn days, we were hungry for more feedback from customers to feed into the product roadmap, basically. And I approached that one hand in hand with my head, with my director of product. And product was equally involved, I would say, in making that happen because it was as much about getting that feedback to influence the roadmap 
as it was about building advocates and champions and so forth. When I was at Open Table, we were in a very different situation. We were not, you know, we had we had sort of we were polarizing, I would say, in the restaurant industry for a variety of reasons. I was brought in to run restaurant marketing, mm. and we thought about the advisory groups as a way to bring us closer to customers and get them on side, so that we could help understand them, but also help position ourselves successfully given pricing moves that we're making and a few other things. Because so, they had, to, they felt like they had to use Open Table. Why was yeah, it polar? Because I'm mean, yes. like, if it was polarizing, why would why would a customer want to go? hang out with you. So Open Table had a long sort of history of their business model is that restaurants pay a certain fee per seated diner. The pricing had been the same for years. And in that period, of course, they were founded in 98 to, this is 2014, 2015. The way that the world books restaurant, makes restaurant reservations had transformed and everybody was doing it online. So restaurants were not at peace with what they saw as Open Table sort of monetizing their diners. But it was really the way of the world. You know, individuals were more and more saying, you know what, I only want to book what I can book, you know, what I can book easily online. So it was a little, a little bit of tension when we used the advisory councils to diffuse that tension. At Lever, so I joined Lever Series A and about 40 employees. When I left, we were Series C and about 170. When we started advisory councils, it was less about customer feedback to influence product, although, of course, we did take that feedback for that reason. Lever, I don't know how much you know about Lever, but uh, very design thinking driven. And so our product and design teams spent huge amounts of time with customers already. We already had that input. And so I'd say the the advisory councils were more about fine tuning the ideas, but really it was about helping understand how could we go to market effectively. And what I was fortunate to do there was build a couple of of legions of of really fierce champions for us who felt very invested in our success. Mm. And so it was really about the marketing partnership was a chief benefit. So, so it's almost like if you, you know, you go to a new company, you, it's almost like you assess the, you assess how close a marketing org is to their customers. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Lever, oh, the product team is very close to them. So is there yep. stuff we can get from them? Yep. In the case of OpenTable, we're not. So we need to create a new group. And, and Yeah, I mean, it really is about proximity to customer. And if, if customer feedback is already coursing through the veins of your organization, then there are different reasons to to bring them in aside from product. Do you have an opinion on the role of customer marketing? Like do in the sense of like I've seen some orgs where customer marketing is just advocates, influencers, Mm -hmm. where some other roles it's about upgrades and cross-sell. Like does a customer marketing team need to have a revenue goal? You know, I think it depends on the business model. Certain organizations where I've worked over time, there's more revenue potential in the existing base than there is potentially yeah. outside of that. And right. so I do think that revenue goals are important in that situation. But to me, if you don't have that drumbeat of advocacy and if you aren't really building win-win relationships with customers, then if all you're doing is hawking product or hawking the next thing, I think it falls pretty flat. Yeah, I could talk to you about marketing forever. <laughs> I want to get to your seven things. If you hear puppies in the background, that they do have puppies at Saster. Aww. So yeah, so that person. that is not... You're a cat person. Yes. Interesting. So. My throat is a little itchy. I was had. A, I could tell. Uh, no, I'm just I'll sit over here. This is a huge rip. My, I am. I'm a dog person. My wife and my daughter are obsessed with kittens, and so my wife is just. She looks at me and she's like, "We're getting kittens, aren't we?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, there's like Zyrtec and things like that." I know. I understand. I understand. Okay, so I'm gonna read you the seven, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna tell you I picked out three that were my favorite, okay. and I want to dive in on those. Yep. Okay. So number one, use feedback to inform your biggest messaging decisions. Mm-hmm. Number two, think of customer feedback as the ultimate in data enrichment. Number three, leverage customer feedback for surprise and delight. Four, turn feedback into attention-getting, lead-generating content. Five, inform pricing and packaging. 
Six, use feedback to create a virtuous customer acquisition cycle. And seven, use feedback to create devoted internal fans. Mm. Okay, I pick three. Okay. Let's dive into them. First one, my favorite. Use feedback to inform your biggest messaging decisions. <laughs> it seems so obvious, oh. and yet so often marketers don't pause and do this. No. So there's no excuse in this day and age for launching a campaign or launching a product with a new name and finding that it falls flat or it backfires. And you don't even have to, oftentimes you don't even have to do the research. Those things are already out there via social media, via Amazon reviews, via Product Hunt, via Quora. Like, I bet you could go find a million questions people have asked on Quora about how to use SurveyMonkey to blah. Mm-hmm. We, at Drift, we call it like, this is not a real scientific name. We, we say their words, which mm-hmm. is like, did you use their words? Yep. Either you had somebody tell you that or you went out and saw it. Like, it's crazy. Sometimes all of the best messaging, any good line of copy we've written mm-hmm. has not come from us. <laughs> a customer has said That's it. That's great. So, so I think what, where I've seen the kind of the surveying and the, the research piece come in handy is, first of all, for the fine-tuning of the words, right? So I think it's, I agree, you want to be getting customer feedback qualitatively to feed into the, the potential messaging. And then, I think, secondly, making sure you land with confidence. Yeah. So, so, so your, approach is, your approach might be like, Marketing team works on messaging positioning. Yes. You whittle it down to like, okay, we think it's going to be these five things. Mm-hmm. Then you go survey. Yes, actually. So a couple of things. So yes, the first of all, there's the brainstorm with the marketing team. Other, you know, product might be in there, whoever it is. The way we've done it before is you get to your, it could be four to eight different options. And then you take those selectively to qualitative research. So do conversations with customers. So get the qualitative feedback to your point. You want customers reacting to the statement on the slide and going, Oh, that word is weird. Or what do you mean by that? Or Ugh, don't say scalable. That was actually a real story from, from back in the LinkedIn days. Love that. And then, you know, you, you whittle it down to your three or four and you can run quant research against that to have real confidence that the words are going to resonate by different segments as well. So that's the other thing is, you know, the qualitative input is important, but you can't over-index on it. So whether you have lots of customers and no data, you can, there's always a way to start this, to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. Go talk and, to three people. You know, we've... Uh, for what it's worth, we offer a little-known service called SurveyMonkey Audience, cool. which is basically you can buy panel relatively inexpensively and run research in hours. Amazing. So. SurveyMonkey Audience. Is that what it's called? Yes. Audience. Okay. Other one I loved out of this was leverage customer feedback for surprise and delight. Oh, yes. Yes. How do you do this? Because I think surprise and delight, everybody talks about it. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's the engine, what's the machine inside of the SurveyMonkey marketing team where you actually act on it? Well, the engine literally is your ear because... <laughs> You know, we talk about B2B marketing, but really it's it's B2H. Totally. It's business B2, we, to human. There is no B2C. There is no B2P. No. Like. So, so if you embrace the fact that you are literally building relationships and conversations with humans, what I've found to be successful in, uh, in all the places I've worked is listening with a keen ear to the nuggets or the specific detail that will... I'm putting that in my back pocket or somewhere in my memory recesses so I can surprise and delight later. Yeah. One company I worked for... So we, we actually used SurveyMonkey for our NPS surveys and we would use the integration with Slack to pump them into a private channel that I monitored with our head of success and customer ops team. We did that exact thing ah. early days of Drift and uh-huh. what we would do is, this is the system for it, pump the NPS responses into Slack mm-hmm. and then if it was a, if it was a promoter, we, somebody would mark it with an emoji reaction mm-hmm. and that meant that they sent them like a hat and a t-shirt in the mail. Yes, okay, so that's exactly the kind of thinking. What we would do in this channel, though, is we would look at those nines and tens or any sort of color commentary that we could we could do something interesting with. So literally one time a customer who gave us a nine or a ten, we had the question of what else can we do to, to, you know, anything else we can do? And the answer was 
Nah, unless you want to send me ice cream. Amazing. So you know what we did, right? Send them ice cream. We sent ice cream to Toronto. And it was the summertime and they blew up on Twitter. And it was just, you know, they were already a fan, but it took that relationship to the next level. And we knew we had sort of a fan for life at that point. And you have a fan for life. And that's stuff you can't put a price on is that person then on Instagram and Twitter taking a picture. Thank you so much at Survey You know, how do you quantify that? You can't. Yeah. Love that. Surprise and delight. Mm -hmm. A good surprise of the light is always good, right? <laughs> I hadn't thought of a bad surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, um, so I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you this. This is really surprise uh, and dismay. Okay, so so David, who's the CEO of Drift, and he's he's not here. He's not here at SAS for this year. Somebody made a bobblehead of him. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And hand delivered it to me. So we'll see if I get stopped at security. That is special. <laughs> I, he's watching me now. We'll turn it this way. We're going to turn it this way. We, okay. The other, one of the other things I liked from this list, I like them all because it's great. Turn feedback into attention-getting, lead-generating content. Oh, yes. Can you give me, how does that play out? Give me some examples. Oh, my goodness. Right. So this one, again, I, I think every company I've worked at, uh, including SurveyMonkey, what is the angle that you can take to the outside world in your content that combines something unique about you and something that's relevant, you know, and timely and everything else. And so generally speaking, I think people care about two types of content. So customers care about number one, content that reflects feedback, you know, their peers, what their peers are thinking. The second type of sort of feedback driven content is what their end user is thinking. So on the first category of customers and what other customers are thinking, we're constantly running survey on what marketers think at SurveyMonkey, mm. of course. When I was at LinkedIn, we used to run something called Global Recruiting Trends. And this started back in 2009 or 10. They're still running it today, albeit with mixing up the formula a little bit. And people would love that content because they wanted to know if they were thinking about the right things as they looked ahead into the future of the profession, right? So that was kind of flavor number one. And, and then that becomes something that you could run every quarter, every year. It's a benchmark. that yes. Then you build up this demand for it. People want it. They know every June you're going right. to publish the blah, right? That's right. And, and it feeds all of your channels, right? So you've got the gated downloadable content, but it, you run it in webinars. It makes its way on stage at presentations, et cetera, et cetera, right? The other flavor, as I said, is sort of end user feedback. So an example from this week, actually, HackerRank, who have used SurveyMonkey to run this developer skills report a couple of years running, just published their 2019 version. And it's feedback from 71,000 developers globally about the skills that they have and the skills they're looking to build. So for any organization that is recruiting tech talent or for the developers themselves, really, I mean, it's just essential reading. So, and right? is that is that through them or they work, is that through SurveyMonkey audience or they have an audience of developers? They, they have an audience of developers, cool. right? So they didn't need us to So you're just panel, tapping into people you already have. That's right. Saying, hey, want to be a part of this? And of course, I'm a marketer. If you're reaching out to me about the future of marketing, I want to tell you my opinion. Right. And then you want to know what whether your opinion lines up with we'll see where people's. that ranks. Yeah, exactly. Any of these from this list that you like that I didn't call out? Hmm. I have stories for all of them, of course. I think one, one I'll call out because I think it's, I've seen marketers that think about pricing too late, let's just say, or the pricing test. Yeah. And I'm good friends with some of the folks at Simon Kutcher and partners who I think are the preeminent pricing firm out there. And you know, their contention is that we just think about that too late. And so in a couple of places, I've used customer feedback basically as a really important input into how we're thinking about packaging and pricing. So designing packages from scratch based on individuals' willingness to pay for certain features to running qualitative research with decision makers and having them react real time to different price points using Van Wessendorp and all these other you know, conventions to just try and make sure we have as much input as possible on that final price. Because you can really kind of shoot yourself in the foot if you go to market with something that doesn't have quite the right feature set in place that people will pay for or that is just priced incorrectly. You have to work with somebody who knows what they're, who really knows how to run those things, right? Ide- like, ideally. Yeah. I mean, I will say I've done it. I've done it the 
paying for the consultant's sure. way and I've done it the scrappy way. Yeah. So the paying for consultant's way, I mean, I really do think if you think about pricing and the lever offers on your business, it is worth doing if you can afford it. Haven't always been able to afford it. So the shortcut is to buy the book Monetizing Innovation okay. by Madhavan, who actually works at SKP. Okay. And at a prior company, I literally bought that book and then implemented, I think it was chapter four. Forget it's great. It's, it's good when a book is a, is actually tactical. It's and like, you can here, say are the, here are the seven things you need to do, right? right. And, and we did them and we actually landed in a great spot pricing standpoint. Okay, I want to shift over this couple more questions before you wrap up. You yep. got to get ready for the big stage. I this do. is the small-ish right. stage. <laughs> Shifting to enterprise. Yes. So this is something that you've been working on and have done recently. SurveyMonkey, strong brands, lot of awareness among, you know, what we would call SMB, mm-hmm. very small businesses, whatever. Yep. How did you shift marketing to make the shift to enterprise? You know, unpack that a little bit. Well, it's very much a shift that's in motion. And it was one of the things that drew me to the company 10 months ago. So I had used SurveyMonkey in numerous ways for customer research, for, for CSAT and NPS surveys, for competitive intel, for internal surveys, you know, you name it. And despite having this affinity for the product, I had no idea just how deep the product portfolio ran and all the ways in which we were actually solving business challenges for large companies at scale in a way that I think aligns with what people want from technology today, which is the combination of consumer-grade tech, which is secure, which has the right access controls in place, which makes sure the data is, is shared with the people who should have access to it. To make sure that your data doesn't leave the building when your employees do, sort of thing. This is a kind of a, it's an interesting challenge from a marketing perspective, though, because I get why SurveyMonkey didn't focus on enterprise. Because if there's if you have this amazingly flexible product, mm-hmm. it can be really hard to say, well, what is your value like? What is your value prop? Right? Mm-hmm. You can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. So it seems like it just is the right time in the company to do that. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. Number one. The solutions that we've developed, and we do have, you know, we have, for example, a solution called SurveyMonkey CX, which helps organizations really run a tight NPS program, SurveyMonkey Engage for employee engagement and so forth. These are purpose-built solutions that we basically arrived at through customer feedback. So you can think of usage of the platform as a form of feedback, right? People are voting with the templates that they're choosing, as it were. And so we find ourselves being pushed by our customers in the direction of more robust solutions that really cater to their enterprise needs. So it's really, it's a combination of right time for us, but also demand from the market for us to cater to that. Everybody listening to this is mostly in marketing, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody mostly, classic. Take me into the SurveyMonkey marketing team. Like, how do you actually go and make this shift? Is it mm-hmm. is there an enterprise lead funnel that's different than the main site? Do you have a enterprise website? Are there enterprise reps? Like, what mm-hmm. what was all the stuff that you needed to build out yes, to support yes this? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> so my hiring was preceded by the hiring of our phenomenal chief sales officer John Schoenstein. and he's, hi John. He's a uh, he's my guy. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. So. And by the way, we could also have another podcast on sales and marketing. Oh, totally. SurveyMonkey, we're like this. Good. So, you know, we're very serious about building out the team to support this motion, right? So it is about having the right sales organization in place. Uh, I hired a senior director of uh, Demand Gen, Jack Foster, last summer. Hi, Jack. And, you know, she's really been instrumental in making sure we put all of the right infrastructure in place. And, and so, so, but her mission is to generate leads for this enterprise mm-hmm. business. Not, there's, there's another funnel where people are going to the website, signing up. And, and she's not touching those leads or seeing those so leads. So what's interesting, and this is one of the things that I think gives us an interesting advantage in the market. You think about the SurveyMonkey user base, right? We have 16 million active users in 190 countries and territories, 600,000 paying customers from 300,000 organizational domains. And of those, only about 3,200 today are on an enterprise agreement. So clearly, there's a lot of potential in our base for companies that are using SurveyMonkey in 
kind of a self-serve way to be exposed to and understand how you can benefit them. So, so there's a lot to be done. We have a system that we call a Customer 360, which is about looking across that base and understanding who might be in the right time, right need, and so totally. forth. To so have it's, a it's a different marketing challenge. Her mission is not necessarily to generate net new leads, but it's existing base people who already know you. It's How a, can it's you surface? Yeah, it's a combination of both. I mean, it's very rare that we'll walk into an enterprise discussion at an organization that doesn't use SurveyMonkey at all, right? I mean, typically there are hundreds, if not thousands of users. Somebody in the company is using it. That's right. But they haven't knitted that together in a way that really unlocks the power of feedback. And that's where we come in. What's been the biggest, have you had to like fight any cultural battles on on enterprise? Because it's definitely a different Mm -hmm. motion, different sales and marketing motion. Yeah, it's a great question. I think the tension for us, and this is part of what we're working on this year, right? We really need to get that message out there that we are. Yes, we have this really elegant, easy to use and powerful self-serve tool, but we are so much more than that. And so it's about extending this popular brand into this kind of enterprise direction. And it does throw up some interesting challenges because if you think about the average enterprise brand, right? Stuffy, boring, trying to figure out how to be more approachable, more consumer-like, That's why I'm asking, because it's like SurveyMonkey, cool, hip brand. I think a lot of the mistake a lot of people make is now we have to be enterprise SurveyMonkey. Where it's like, I'm an enterprise buyer, you're an enterprise buyer, we're all people. We're back to that VTH thing, yeah. That's exactly right. So we're going to have to strike the right balance and make sure that we don't lose that goodness, but we help people understand the growth and the innovation that companies are driving by using SurveyMonkey, the difference that we make, basically the ROI that they can see and how it's, it's really helping transform organizations. So it's really more about making sure we get the message out about the impact that customers are able to drive. Okay, let's wrap up with this. I wanted to talk to you about eating your own dog food, but you told me before that it's eating from your own restaurant, (laughs) which sounds much better. That is good. That's a marketer's marketer's (laughs) answer, which I love right there. Well, I think that the thing is it's, so I don't know where dog food is. I don't want to eat dog food. I don't want to eat my own dog food. And then the other other end of the spectrum is drinking your own champagne, which sounds a bit opulent. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, my CFO probably wouldn't like that. No, not during the day, no. Anytime it yeah, does yeah, sure. But so the middle ground for me is eating in your own restaurant because hopefully you are building products and services and bringing those to market that are actually appetizing. We felt this firsthand at Drift is using our own product to run our own business means you go to talk to customers and you actually have, I guess there is no, I guess the definition of the word empathy is it's not fake. It's re- like we have real empathy, yes. right? Which is like, oh my God. First I've, person empathy. First yeah. person. <laughs> I, I've had that bug too. Yeah. Oh, I wonder why I couldn't do that. Oh, it is amazing when you do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's, and then you, if all your customers went away tomorrow, which wouldn't be great, obviously, but you could go and create content and create your own stuff because you're feeling it, you're learning it firsthand. I think, you know, I've had this thought a bunch recently, like, which is like, I would be no good at a company in, in a marketing role if I couldn't actually touch and use the product. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about if I'm at Tesla, I better own a Tesla and drive one. If I'm at SurveyMonkey, I better have a side yeah. project where I'm running, you know, yeah. using surveys. And that's actually my dirty little secret in terms of marketing success, right? So it, at LinkedIn, I, you know, LinkedIn. you've all been a candidate. I was sure. a huge LinkedIn user before I joined the, the organization. Open table, you're a consumer. Diner, right? Lever, hiring manager. And Lever's whole, and Sarah was on talking That's about good. collaborative hiring. You know, it's really important for hiring managers to be involved in the process. And now here we are at SurveyMonkey, and it's like the ultimate meta job because when you look at Tech Validate, SurveyMonkey Audience, or Enterprise Surveys Platform, right? I mean, these are all tools that I can use on a daily basis to add value to my organization. Totally. There's a million things I could talk to you about. Thank you for doing this Thank you on so a much busy for day. Me. Good luck with your Saster talk. This will go out after, so hopefully there'll be lots of love for you on, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, cool. Thank you, babe. All right, thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Swipe File. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, text your friends, tell your mother, do whatever you want to do. It'd be awesome if you helped spread the word about the show. But I have a little special for you because you're listening to my podcast. If you go to drift.ly, drift.ly slash Steve, you will see a six-minute video that I made that is about Steve Jobs' storytelling secrets, and you can get it all for free. Plus, if you sign up there, you will unlock this crazy new thing that we're building behind the scenes called Drift Insider, where we're going to give you some of our best content exclusively. So go and check it out. The way, the secret way to get on this list right now is to go to drift.ly slash Steve. You have to watch the first video and you'll be able to get the rest when they all come out. Check it out. If not, check it out soon and I'll see you in the next episode.